0: Last time, Marie recounted how her doctor, suspecting Marie had been poisoned, asked who cooked for her.
1: I said, my husband. He said, is there any tension between you and your husband? I went, oh yeah. And he said, tell me what it's over. And I said, it's over assets. I said, I have more and he has next to nothing. So anyway, he rang another lab And ask for this particular thing to be checked. Comes back to me. I'm only in the hospital for about three hours. And he comes home and he tells me I'm being backed out. That I have to go to Australia. They can't treat me. They've got nothing there that they can treat me with. And he said, I'm going to ring the, uh, airlines. He said, I need you to be watched. You, I'm going to, you're going to be carrying drugs. I'm going to paint you with saline. Uh, we will take you to the to the hospital and we will you'll sit in there and he said i think who's going to go to australia with you i said well i'll ring damon and find out what he's doing and he said that's brave of you
0: an important bit of context here marie had no family around at that time while marie was still willing to be around damien she was also taking the poisoning theory seriously.
1: I was giving it credence. I was starting to think now. Do you know what I mean? We'd had all these arguments, all these bloody girls. Um, he was back on the phone, I know, to New Zealand. I, I I knew something was wrong, and do you think I could pinpoint that he was trying to take my life? He, he I was in his way. He needed to get rid of me. So I rang him and I said, hey, I'm really sick. Um, They believe I have been poisoned. Um, And he goes, there was stone silence. And I said, can you hear me? And he said, yes. I said, they think I'm being poisoned somehow. And I'm going to have to go to Australia. They can't treat me here. Would you come with me? And he said, I'm not going to Australia with you. So I then hung up, teas came down, and I rang a girlfriend and I said, do you think you could come with me because I'm pretty sick? And she says, no, what about Damon? And I went, I've asked him, he won't go with me. And I said, you have to know that they think I'm being poisoned. And she went, oh, my God, it's him. Anyway, I get to Australia. I'm put back in hospital. I'm there for a couple of days. My sister comes in. Damon does come with me at the end because he's getting all these telephone calls saying Marie is gravely ill, you know. So we get over to Australia, and uh, he's not allowed to see me first up uh, while the doctors are all talking, of course. So I'm put into a ward treatment. And uh, he comes in, my sister's sitting there beside me, and all he could do was ask for money. I need a $1,000 for this. I need $500 for that. I need this. I need that. And my sister said to him, get the fuck out of this hospital. My sister is dying, and you want more of her money. Now get out of here. (laughs) So I stayed with my sister for quite some time. And uh then I um uh, what has happening in Vanuatu at this time, our residency is being reprocessed because it has to be reprocessed every three months in those days, not now, but was in those days. and um it was going to be two weeks away. uh, so I said to Damon, what about if I fly to because I have to go back home to Vanuatu?" What about if I fly to New Caledonia, right? We go to New Caledonia and you collect me from there. We'll have a week together. Okay, that's a good idea. So we meet in New Caledonia, everything is fine. We catch up with all these dear friends of ours.
0: If it sounds like Marie had very casually shrugged off possibly being poison, that's not the case. Marie had a plan. There was a strategy at play on her part.
1: I'll say it quite clearly. This boat that our home is in my name, not his. All right, I was going home to end the relationship, get him to go, right? And I'd already spoken to John and said, if I get stuck, would you fly to Vanuatu and get me home? All right. So I had I had some stuff up my sleeve, but I had to get back. Yes, I had to get back to the boat. And I have to see a doctor every two weeks for so many weeks because to, uh, the toxins are still there, but they, they're going down. It was a joke when the doctors, make sure you cook for yourself. Right.
0: For some outside perspective on this, we spoke to Mark Quayle, a man who met Damien and Marie through the sailing world. Well, my name is Mark Quayle. I was uh, sailing director of the Yacht Club.
2: And he came up past the Yacht Club and everybody was looking at this beautiful yacht. And he anchored out in front and he came in and with his crew to um just ask some questions and help and things like that because he'd come in from Australia. And uh me being at that time the only official in the club introduced myself and uh and we got all intrigued about the yacht. And um and of course we got on very well. He's he's a, a very approachable person and everybody liked him.
0: Did they? Mark had a very different perspective than Marie's friends, at least at first. More on that in a second.
2: So we helped them get everything organized and help them with just being friendly, friendly people from New Zealand, just making sure they were comfortable. And a few beers were put on and um, had a barbecue for them and welcomed them into the place. And we got on really extremely well. And that's how we met. Damien was up, up the top with his crew, and this gorgeous blonde lady had appeared at the club. And then we clicked that She uh, was with what I thought was one of the new crew members coming on board, Help, Damien. And I said, introduce myself and I said, Oh, so how do you fit into it? And she said, I own the boat. And I'm his wife. Oh? Eh? His wife? He never mentioned. He never mentioned he was married
0: at all. We just assumed that he was single. After Mark explained how charming and likable Damien was, we told him every woman interviewed during the production of this podcast said otherwise. Here's how he responded:
2: My wife said the same thing as what what you've just confirmed with the other
0: ladies. There was something about him. Whereas, us blokes, we're more interested in the yacht, to be perfectly honest. As an accomplished sailor, Mark quickly understood the fundamental tension between Damien and Marie. He refurbished that boat, okay, but Marie paid for it, okay. So he he
2: he, he refurbished the whole thing, but Marie paid the whole thing. So he didn't want to let that go, okay. Uh, but Marie had Marie decided, no, we're not we're not going to be married any longer. We're going to. Um, but then she was getting like a you know like the woman battered woman syndrome kept going back. And that's what we were struggling with going back. But then if you look at psychology, that woman's badison dream, they do go back. And that's what was happening to her. Definitely the boat. It's definitely the boat is 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 the whole thing. She put a lot of money into that boat. And so she was trying to protect that investment. And he obviously had a dream of doing the boat up but had no money. Okay. So what his goal was now this is me this is this is only my opinion. Okay, what his goal was was to find a rich lady, which he achieved. To pay for doing the boat up. Okay. What he didn't bank on was the rich lady was also a very strong lady. Okay, so when so she fought back and she wanted to have and she realized the marriage was over and she wanted to have her investment
0: back. In 1971, the New York Times reported that the cost of the Concorde program to build the supersonic airliner had ballooned from 400 million to 2 billion. At that time, the British and French governments were working together on the Concorde. They noted that 250 planes would have to be sold for the builders to turn a profit. At the time, 16 airline companies had taken options on 74 Concordes, but none had yet placed a firm order. Forbes reported that the last Concorde flight was in 2003. There's now a term in evolutionary biology for when people or animals defend an investment, and defending it costs more than just abandoning it. It's called the Concorde fallacy back in New Caledonia.
1: So we we go to New Caledonia. And all our friends had boats, so we went to this great weekend, had a great weekend, fun weekend, and uh, I did lots of all the cooking. This this was on the Sunday night. Everybody left around Sunday lunchtime. This is Sunday night. So I cooked the meal. We're chatting. Everything's fine. And I said, I'm going for a shower. So I went for a shower, and I heard all this ruckus in the boat. So I said, when I came out, I said, what did you just do? He said, I've let some of the anchor out, you know, so we've got a bigger swinging circle, right? I said, oh, okay, okay. Thought nothing of it. We uh, go to bed, wake up the next morning, and the boat is on the foreshore of an island. Anyway, I make... A cup of tea, he tells me I'm paranoid, not to worry, the boat's not going to fall over. Anyway, in 15 minutes, the boat just goes, bang. So the boat is now on its side and with a little water. And I said to him, what are you doing to us? What are you trying to achieve? If you are that unhappy, Leave. Go wherever you want to go. I'll give you the money and for the ticket, but just stop doing and tormenting me this way. Anyway, we didn't speak for something like 10 hours. The tide's coming in and the boat's starting to right itself. So he tells me how we're going to get out of this situation. So the anchor is probably... Half kilometre away, or thereabouts, and it's at an angle to us, so we have to inch sideways up to it, right the boat, and get in front of the anchor to pull it up. So I'm given a set of instructions: go to the pointy end of the boat, up the bow, and slowly, when I tell you to hit the anchor chain, you hit the anchor chain. Make sure the anchor chain stays on the roller. Put your hand up if you want it to stop, if you see it's starting to slide. This went on for about 10 minutes. And then he threw the boat into full gear. The anchor chain came off. I couldn't do a thing about it. It pulled all the stainless steel uh, lifeline all off the side of the starboard boat. It came flying back at me, Right? I'm pretty agile. I jumped, but I jumped onto the other side of the boat, made a mess of myself, scarred myself. So now it was going to be very hard how we were ever going to get this anchor. But with that, I stood up and said, enough, I know you are trying to kill me.
0: If you are not a sailor, all the boat terminology Marie explains might be a little confusing. Here's a simple way to summarize Marie's account here. The boat was laid over, not capsized, not upside down, but tilted to the side in a way that boats are not supposed to be, stuck on the shore. To free the boat, Marie says Damien instructed her to stand a certain place on the boat while he operated the engine. While Damien's expert level skill as a sailor was in question at times, as we've mentioned previously, he was no novice. It would seem reasonable to assume he was a capable enough sailor to know what he was doing in this instance. According to Marie... They were alone on the boat at this time.
1: I sat there. I was mortified. I saw the damage on the boat. I was bleeding everywhere. And we were stuck out in the middle of this bloody island thing in this bay. I got on the radio and called and said there's been an accident and that would somebody coming." come and see that we're all right as we're coming in, because we have to motor in. We got the chain up. He went and got the chain up and the anchor up. And I would not leave the radio. I was a mess. So when we get in, we have to now pen in because we can't stay out there because of all this enormous damage. And I am so angry. I, I can't get over how angry I am. For lots of reasons, one, I'm angry at myself because I didn't see it coming. Again, the damage that I'm going to have to pay for because the boat's no longer seaworthy to go offshore, so we can get to Vanuatu. So we had to spend a week in in New Caledonia, uh, getting all of this all organised. I nearly got to the stage where I was to fly home. But we found somebody to sail with us and come back. So I was—I had a bit of pressure taken off. But, but he wanted to go in and see islands. So I said, "No, we're going straight back." So I'm back. It's now early May. By now, he said, "You're paranoid. You're the one that's sick, not me." Right. You're the one that's got too many drugs in you. He was a smart ass, right? I said, listen here, Damon. I've been through more doctors in the last month and everyone agrees I've been poisoned. All right? I've just had you purposely make this dreadful mistake. When we go back, you are going. Right? You can pack up whatever you need, but you've got to go. So it was pretty tense, but it was—I—I I was able to live it anyway. While we were in in New Caledonia, we got word that we our visas were all in place and that we could now come back into through immigration and it'll be all stamped. But in the meantime, I got all the work done, um, all the stainless steel work done, and then uh, when we get to Vanuatu. Um, it, it is ugly, it is ugly. Um, uh, there were bouts of physical pushing and pulling. Um, it, we no longer shared a room. So I was actually putting things in place. He hated that I told him he was never to sleep with me again. And since that day, never has. Um, and um, so I, I resumed school, and, uh, but I did a few things to, to, to save myself. I took all my legal papers and I had the principal of the school um, uh, store them in a safe. Um, I went back to the doctors and told them that I was very worried about that my life was in danger. Anyway, it was a couple of weeks, and I asked him to pick me up after school at three, and he never picked me up. And I get collected at a little restaurant bar, and um, what, my girlfriend from from uh, the school was with me, and she said, "Marie, you've got to look after yourself. I don't. I believe he's going to try again." Anyway, we. I got into the dinghy and go across the harbour to get to the boat. And as I'm climbing onto the boat, he lets the dinghy just um, move away from the boat. And like he wasn't going to get on the boat. Now, you're going to think I'm crazy when I tell you what I did. I jumped into the water and swam to the boat, to the dinghy. And I said, Damon, what is wrong? What is really, really wrong? Right? I've offered to pay air i I'm in the water, right? You have to understand this, but I am in the water. He stands up in the dinghy, and they're hanging on, and he uses his two fists and slams on my hands. So I can't hang on to the boat. He starts dinghy up. He does a U-turn, puts the dinghy in full throttle. And it aims the boat at me in the water. And I'm going, holy shit, holy shit. Now, I know how to swim. I'm a good swimmer. So I took this huge, great big breath, duck dived into the water, and I was run over by the dinghy. Right? I could feel the motor going over my... It didn't cut my legs, it missed it by inches. All right. It's dark at this stage, not dark, twilight. Right. And I'm fully clothed. Anyway, he takes the dinghy off and he goes down the harbor somewhere else. And I'm left in the water going, I know I can't get back on the boat. It's seven feet off the water. So I went swimming and looking for somebody that might have been in a boat. So I find these three guys sitting on a boat and I start screaming at them. And one guy goes, there's somebody in the goddamn water. It's a woman. So they, I get in, they get their dinghy ready for me and I climb into their dinghy. And he said, did that boat just try to run over you? I went, yes. I said, it's, it's Damon. It's my husband. He's got mental problems. So anyway, they got me onto the boat. I had a shower and I went into bed. And it was, and because he was gone for hours. And I know why he was gone for hours. He was hoping I'd drown. And again, another accident. He died of fright when he got on the boat. And I'm sitting there in the saloon in the dark and go, what the fuck do you (laughs) want? (laughs) <laughs> and he said, shit, you're alive. And I went, yes. And I said, and this is going to be reported. So it was reported. I said that I want it to be reported that this is what he tried to do to me and you can ask the three men. And the three men would question. He said, yes, this is what happened. Did I want him arrested? No, but I needed the police to know that I was in danger.
0: But in this instance, the three men encountered Marie after the incident. There was an absence of some direct third-party witness or undeniable evidence to support her claims.
1: So I knew that he would turn it around and get the police to believe that I was paranoid, crazy. I was the one that needed help. I was never listened to. And I've never listened by the police twice in New Zealand. Um, the only police that listened to me were the police in uh, Vanuatu. All right. And I think because they rang the doctor and the doctor said, yes, this is correct.
0: But Vanuatu had its own unique issues when it came to law enforcement. Much more on that in the next episode.
1: So it calmed down. And then um, I noticed a few strange things happening. I noticed this all this white powder one day in the in the middle where the bunk beds were. There was this white powder on the um, on the floor of the boat, and uh, and I said, "What's all this white powder?" And he said, "Oh, I had a problem with the pump, and I've had to change the pump over. It burnt out." I went, "Oh, right, okay," and then. I don't know, three days later, four days later, I come home and three pieces of my uh, cutlery service, an expensive one, were black. And I go, what the hell happened here? Oh, I was mixing up some solution and it fell on it. I go, these are eaten by acid. Now, I did something strange. I wrapped him up in a tea towel and put him in a cupboard. He thought I threw them out. A week later, we're having to go to a very formal function, and he's telling me he can't go. He's ringing me on the phone and telling me he can't go. That he's been to the doctor, that he has, um, he's got an allergy. When I saw him. He's got all these burns on his face and on his hands. I said, they're burns. That's not an allergy. And I look at the cream, and it's burn cream. So I've now got powder on the floor, a burnt-out motor, cutlery, and Damon's burnt. A week later, Sunday morning, the bells are ringing, as they do, because it's a very beautiful Catholic area over there, very religious people. And he tells me he's going to go and buy some pastries, and I'm going, oh, dear. I might have a slice toast first, and then I'll think about the pastries, thinking they might have been. And he says to me while we're having breakfast, now don't forget we're going to uh, clean out the shower pipes. Right, you. and I go, yeah, okay, fine. He said, "I have to mix this solution, um, and I want you to take the solution because I'm going to jam pack everything so it stays in there, kills the bacteria." I go fine, oh, okay, makes sense. Yeah. I'm going to start to shake. So I see him on his knees inside a. Uh, um, a, a pump and he's stuffing this pump with water and i notice on the floor right beside his knee is a little tiny piece of wood and it's got a hole in it and it's been precision cut and i said what's that and he snatches it don't you dare touch that i need that to hold this as a pressure point and i Silly me goes, okay. And then he tells me how he, when I go into the head, that's the shower and all that sort of stuff, where I'm supposed to stand, put it, put this jug of solution in there. And I can see there's, it's frothing up, you know. Anyway, I start to pour it slowly, he said slowly. So I'm pouring it slowly. And then he tells me to stop and then do it one more time. And then he burst into where I was kneeling. He kicks me with his leg, forces me down. One leg gets caught near the door. All the solutions going into the, down the train hole. And mushrooms start appearing, mushroom plumes. I start screaming because I know what's happening. I'm being gassed and I'm fighting for my life now. It only took seconds when I realised and I'm banging, kicking and screaming. I'm trying to get myself up and I'm fighting with him, pushing him away because I know I've got to get out of this bathroom. Anyway, I get myself up. I'm standing up, and I'm hanging on to the door uh, with my hands, and 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 I've got one leg there. And he's jamming, pulling this thing off me, and he realizes that um, I'm not I'm not going to let go because I know what's going on. So he uh, um, he punches me in the chest, big punch. I still, I'm still hanging on, and then he. Um, slams my hand, punches my hand, and then shuts the door on my hand, opens it back up, and punches me through the chest and the rib cage. And with that, I fly back, hit my head against the other side of the bathroom, and that here I now lay in this gas-filled room. And I laid there. That I had stars going on, tears rolling down my face, and the crying stopped just like that. And I knew from my first husband,
0: Marie's first husband was a detective,
1: that these people make a mistake. There's always a mistake. You just have to find it. So I, the gas is now coming up the um, bathroom hole, the shower hole and also out of the sink I've got the bath mat and I've shoved it down the sink first you have I forgot something very very important before I went into the bathroom he made a note of telling me he had turned the water off okay so I couldn't back flush and flood everything out to keep the gas at bay so I then, um, there was a small bath towel, hand towel and the bath mat. So I put the hand towel over the, uh, as much as I could over the shower and, um, and over into the sink. But it kept coming. It just kept coming. And there's deray vents in it. And the deray vents had, I realized, had been locked from the outside
0: a dorade vent is a type of vent that permits the passage of air in and out of the cabin or engine room of a boat while keeping rain, spray, and sea wash out.
1: The doors, this was a two-way bathroom. Both doors were locked. And this is how clever he is. And we know that sociopaths and psychopaths are very clever. This little piece of wood I saw is what he put over the handle of the door so it couldn't go down so it didn't look like there was a struggle right i can draw that piece of what it looked like anyway i was in there and i'm thinking i need water because i start now going through the stages i'm thinking if i lose body functions i know it's all over And I have to, I have to try and get some fresh air. And then I realized the toilet. And it was the toilet water that saved me. I took off my t shirt. I put it into the toilet. Now you have to understand that the toilet water was not fresh water, right? It was sea water. So I put the t shirt over my face put myself into an S-bend, put my hands over my face and then kept breathing. And I could feel my consciousness coming in and out. At this stage now, the lights are out, so I am in pitch black, right? I was in there for 40 minutes. That would be enough to kill anyone. So he called out to me. Marie, can you hear me? I'm a bit stubborn and I refused to answer. And then he waited for quite some time and I heard the phone ring and he said, I can't talk now, the job's not finished. And then he called out again. And I, I was shaking. And I remembered something out of the Bible that said the crow only crows three times. And on the third time I said, I can hear you.
0: Marie is trapped on a boat with a man who has just tried to kill her. Succumbing to the gas cloud he has unleashed into the confined bathroom. How can she escape with her life? On the next and final episode, we'll find out. Dead in the Water is a production of Voyage Media. The series is produced by Nat Mundell, Robert Mitas, Caitlin Brown, and Dan Benemar. Reported, lead produced, and written by Dan Benemar. Edited by Nick Messidi, Nick Schoep, Jackson McLean, and Andres Coca. Original music by Darlise Gonzalez narrated by Tony Dalton. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you're listening, and subscribe now for future episodes. When
2: 27-year-old Gretchen Fleming leaves a West Virginia bar with a former police officer on a winter night in 2022, she's never seen again. Diligent investigators close in on an ex-cop with an unlikely story and an unsettling reputation in a recent episode of the Unsolved True Crime podcast, Last Seen Alive. Last Seen Alive is a true crime podcast researched, written, and hosted by crime analyst Leah Owens. Cases covered include disappearances, homicides, and suspicious deaths, all of them unsolved, and all of them in need of tips from the public. Recognizing that the right piece of information can sometimes be the difference between a cold case and resolution. Last Seen Alive exists to bring public awareness to cases that need it. Listen to Gretchen's story and more than 100 other gripping mysteries as told by a working crime analysis professional. Find The Last Seen Alive wherever you listen to podcasts.